Hey, good morning. Well, some of you remember the time change. Um, and I know that, you know, for everyone, you've lost an hour of sleep, but don't worry about that. You can make that up during my sermon, okay? Yeah, oh, by the way, somebody said, you know, the one good thing about time changing, we lose an hour of rain. Yeah, I thought that was a good point. Now, last Sunday, we started a short two-week series called Noticeable. And I looked up that definition, noticeable. And the word means easily seen or noticed, clear or apparent. There are some things in life that are just easily seen. They're noticed. They are apparent. Uh, For example, this week there was a wreck down on the curve down here. Lots of wrecks down on that curve. And as a car flipped over, it was on its top. So... Everybody who were in the area who went by there, that was something that was easily seen. That was something that you noticed. That was something that was apparent. I was in Lenore on Friday. I'll talk about that after a while. But I was in Lenore, North Carolina on Friday, and, and it was snowing. And snow is just one of those things that's easily seen. It's noticeable. It's, it's apparent. I was thinking about well, what else is something that, that everybody sees and everybody notices and what is it that's very, very apparent? Have you ever seen a woman who's nine months pregnant? Easily seen, easily noticed, apparent that she's about to give birth. A week or two ago, I, I, Gary Adams's granddaughter was in the office with Gary, and I don't know if you've ever seen her. I think she's about three and very expressive, talks a, a, a lot and, and just talks very well, but very expressive. And she was telling me about a skunk that was around her house. You know, a skunk is one of those things that's easily noticeable, right? You don't, you don't get a, swift of, a whiff of a skunk and say, I wonder what that is. <laughs> well, the, this little girl was telling me about, just three, she, she was telling me about... This skunk, and again, she's just so expressive. She said, it stunk up my whole house. (laughs) You know, when something is clear, when something is apparent to everybody, then you can say it's noticeable. Well, on Saturday, March 23rd, we're going to have a day we call Love Loud, where we're going to love the people in this community, where we're going to serve the needs in this community. Uh, And the reason we do that, we want to make God's love noticeable. We want to make God's love clear. We want to make it apparent that there is a God in heaven who, love, who loves these people and there is a church family in the community that loves them as well. I like what Francis Schaeffer once said. Francis Schaeffer, a noted apologist and author, wrote a book called The Mark of Christian. The Mark of a Christian. And he, he talks in the book about, he said, through the centuries, we've used all kinds of different symbols to display uh, that we are Christians. He said some people, for instance, wear things on their lapel to show that they are a Christian. He said others uh, might uh, use the sign of a fish to show that they are a Christian. And others still yet wear crosses around their neck as a symbol of their Christianity. He said, of course, there's nothing wrong with those symbols. There's nothing wrong with using that. But he said there's a much better sign, a universal sign that has 
lasted through the ages of the church and will continue until Jesus comes back. And he said, the mark that really supersedes all of those other things is the mark of love. Not the necklace around your neck, but the love that's in your heart. Jesus talked about that when he said, a new command I give you, listen to this, watch up here. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. And then he said, as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this he said, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said the distinguishing mark, the thing that kind of sets you apart, the thing that identifies you, the symbol of your relationship with God, Jesus said, is that you love one another. It's always been an essential characteristic of a true Christian. One of the greatest symbols of your relationship with God, of your salvation, of, of, of your, uh, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is not the chain around your neck. It's the love you display in your life. Now, let's get honest. Let's be transparent for a moment. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Would you agree it's easier to talk about love than to truly love? It's easier for us to sing about love than to truly make the effort and love someone? Because here's the reason. Love will cost you. In some form or fashion, when you love someone, it's going to cost you. In today's reading, as if you're tracking with me and reading through the book of Mark, in today's text, today's chapter, was actually the story of the Good Samaritan. Very timely chapter as I was reading that this morning. You know the story, but let me share it with you again in just a summary fashion. I want you to remember, first of all, though, that the man who, who writes that story, uh, in, or, I'm sorry, the man who first heard that story, John, along with the other apostles, John heard that story for the first time from the lips of Jesus. We've heard the story in Sunday school. We've heard the story in worship services. We've heard the story in Bible school. We are all familiar with that tremendous story, the Good Samaritan. But John, John heard the story firsthand. He heard the story as Jesus told it originally. Now, you know the story, but let me just kind of lay it out for you again. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and even today there's still that road that follows the ancient path from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road is about 17 miles long. It drops 3,600 feet from the, the hill of Jerusalem down to the valley, the desert valley of Jericho. It goes down into the Judean desert. Because the road was so desolate, because the road was so narrow, because the road even today has many turns, it was a great place, a perfect place for robbers to gather, hide, and attack someone as they were traveling down that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. In fact, that road became known as the Bloody Way because it was so often on that road that people were attacked and beaten and robbed. Jesus knew the context of that area and he tells the story in Luke chapter 10 about a, a priest who was traveling down the road one day, and, and he sees that there was indeed a victim lying on the roadway. There was this man who had been beaten, who had been robbed, who had been stripped of his clothes. And Jesus in this story, he says, you know, there was a priest that came down that same road after the victim had been attacked and robbed. And the priest saw him, and the priest went by on the other side, and he kept going. 
Then Jesus said, now there was another man who came down that same road. He was a Levite, somebody who worked in the temple, somebody who served God. And as he came down the road, he too saw the victim lying in the road, beaten and bloodied and stripped. And he passed by on the other side and he kept going. And then Jesus telling the story said, but there was this other guy who was a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans hated one another. And Jesus said, when this Samaritan saw that Jew laying in the road, he took pity on him. And he stopped. And he bandaged his wounds. And he placed the man on his donkey. And he took the man to an inn. And he paid for his lodging and for his care. And that's why we call that man, the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. He was the one who stopped to help. And their story really hinges on one verse. The story hinges on the verse where it says, when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, we all want to be the Good Samaritan, don't we? I mean, if I ask you today, if I said, which one of those three people do you most identify with? Which one of those three people in the story do you want to be? How many want to be the priest? I doubt anybody would have raised their hand. If I'd said, how many many think the Levite is your hero? You want to be like him? I doubt anybody would raise their hand. But if I said, how many want to be like the Good Samaritan? We'd say, yeah, that's who I want to be. Yeah, that's the way I want to live my life. I want to live my life in a way that it counts for something. I want to live my life in a way where I'm a person who makes a difference in somebody else's life. I want to be one of those people who cares for others. I want to live my life in such a way that I'm pleasing to God. I want to be the Good Samaritan. I don't want to be the priest. I don't want to be the Levite. I want to be that person who cares for people and loves people. Well, the Good Samaritan had three things in his life that we need in our lives. Uh, here's what he had. Number one, he had, listen to this, the Good Samaritan in the story, the Good Samaritan. Here's what he had. He had a soft heart. Because I told you a moment ago, the key to that story is that he saw him and he had pity on him. He was a man who had a soft heart. The priest didn't have a soft heart. He had a hard heart. He passed by on the other side. The Levite had a hard heart. He passed by on the other side. But this good Samaritan had a soft heart. He saw this guy and he had pity on him. Not only did he have a soft heart, he had dirty hands. The reason I say he had dirty hands was he stopped and he bandaged his wounds. I don't know if you've ever dealt with somebody who has been bloodied in an accident or bloodied from a beating. But if you're going to help them, you're going to get their blood on your hands. You're going to get messy. I don't know if you've ever helped somebody in the middle of a mess, but when you're trying to help somebody in the middle of a mess, you kind of get covered in the mess too sometimes. So he had a soft heart. He had dirty hands. But he also had, number three, an open wallet. Because he gave the innkeeper the money needed to take care of this man. He opened his wallet to take care of him. And I think that John, who heard that story for the first time from the lips of Jesus, I think that John never forgot that story. In fact, I think that story was in the back of John's mind as he wrote 1 John chapter 3. Would you open God's Word to that text? 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. See if this doesn't sound familiar. See if it doesn't have some echoes of the story of the Good Samaritan. Verse 17. First John 3.17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him. That sounds like the Good Samaritan. 
You see and you have pity. John says, if anybody has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Then he says, verse 18, the key verse I want to focus on, dear, dear children. Whenever John used that phrase, dear children, it was always, he's, he's about to make an application. And it's, it's always an important application, and sometimes it's a painful application. John says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with what, church? With actions and in truth. John wants to make clear, we have a responsibility to love others. And John says, I don't want your love to be something that you declare. I want your love to be something that you do. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You see, we're tempted to reduce the idea of loving others to something that we say. We're tempted to reduce the idea of loving others to something that we feel. And that's an easy way to love people. If, if your love is reduced to saying something, if your love is reduced to just a feeling that you have, if you never, if you never get your hands dirty, if you never take the time to help somebody, if you never take the time to open your wallet, if you never take the time to have pity on someone, if you don't have a soft heart that causes you to do something, John would say, I'm not sure that you're really loving anybody. You may be talking about your love. It may be love in words, but it's not love in action. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Let's, let's imagine that you're walking across a desert and it's not like it is today where it's rainy and wet and all of that, but you're walking across a desert, and it's hot. And it's, you're thirsty. You've been walking all day across this hot, dry desert, and your mouth is parched. You, your mouth is like cotton, and you, you have no moisture in your mouth at all. And, and you make it to me as you're walking across this desert, and I, I say, hey, man, I, I'm so glad to see you. I love you. I'm so, I see that you... Man, you look thirsty. You, do you want some water? Oh, yeah, I need some water. Please give me some water. And then I take this bottle and say, God bless you. Enjoy that. You see, empty bottles, kind of like empty words. What good are they? If, all, if you're really, really thirsty and all I ever give you is an empty bottle, have I really helped you? If you're, if you're dry and you're parched and you're extremely thirsty and all I ever do is this, what good are my words if I say, God bless you. You want some more? Here you go. God bless you. Empty words is an empty love. Just words is an empty love. So, that's why John says what he does. I like what, the way James says it too in James 2. You don't need to turn there, just listen. He says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What, what good is it if, if you keep saying, I love you, God bless you, but it's all just simply empty words. You're not really doing anything to meet their needs. Do you know why we struggle with loving others? 
I, I think I've got the answer. Do you know why we struggle so much with loving others? I believe because at the heart of loving others is putting other people ahead of you. And that could be a huge battle. You see, our default mode, myself included, our default mode is to revert back to selfishness, not love. Our default mode is to revert back to what's best for me rather than what's best for you. Because if I put you ahead of me, I might have to change my schedule. If I put you ahead of me, I might have to open my wallet. If I put you ahead of me, I might get my hands dirty. If I put you ahead of me, I might have to do what helps you rather than what I want to do. And so it's so easy to be like the Levite or the priest and just walk by on the other side and keep going to do the things we want to do. Loving others is not easy. Talking about loving others is very easy. But loving others is not something that comes naturally. From time to time, it's something we all struggle with. You know, sometimes I think we, we talk about loving others so much and we even sometimes pray about loving others and we think we've done all we need to do because we talked about it or because we prayed about it. But look up here. Love involves more than words. And listen, sometimes you need more than prayers. Sometimes you actually need to put feet to your prayers. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us, isn't it? He didn't just declare His love for us. He demonstrated it. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His love for us in this when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just declare to us that He loves us. He demonstrated it. And yes, it cost Him dearly. But that's what love does. Love meets needs. I mean, think of a time when somebody demonstrated God's love for you. You were in need and somebody came along and put their arm around you at just the right time. Uh, you, were, you had a need and somebody interrupted their schedule and spent time with you. Just think about a time when somebody demonstrated love for you. You were in need and they opened their wallet and they met a financial need in your life. When somebody takes the time to demonstrate love, I can tell you something about th that time. You probably are never going to forget it. I'm going to tell you a true story. Uh, some of you have heard this years ago, but about 16 years ago, I was sitting in the second floor waiting area at Greenville Memorial Hospital. Now, there's something you need to know about me. My wife knows about it, uh, maybe my kids. Not a lot of people know this, but I'm going to go ahead and confess it to you now. Something you need to know about me is that I have a hard time throwing away shoes. I don't know why. But I always think I might need those sometime. And even when I have bought new shoes to replace my old shoes, I can have three generations there in my closet, of, you know, because I might need those, you know, to cut the grass in or, or whatever. And, and so when I get a pair of shoes and they feel good, I hang on to them forever. I hang on to them way too long. And about 16 years ago, I had a pair of dress shoes that I really liked. Uh, the upper part of the dress shoes looked really nice. They were leather. They looked really nice. I liked the style. Uh, the, the problem is, on the bottom, I had a hole in the sole. Now, here's the other problem. I never remember that unless it was raining. 
That's the only, it's like, oh yeah, I got a hole in my shoe. I forgot about that. And I'd always intend to go get that shoe fixed, but again, I'd forget about it unless it was raining. Or I might be driving by the shoe shop and it's like, oh, I need to stop and get my shoes fixed. But I got them on my feet, so I can't stop. And so I just kept wearing them and I didn't think a whole lot about it. 16 years ago, I was sitting in the waiting room of a hospital and I wasn't thinking about my shoes. I wasn't thinking about the hole in my shoe. And somewhere, there's a crowded waiting room and somewhere along the way, I propped my feet up. Again, I wasn't thinking about the hole in my shoe. I I didn't notice that anybody else saw the hole in my shoe. But there's a whole group of people that eventually left the waiting room. And after they left, a lady came over to me. She said, are you a pastor? I said, yes, ma'am. And I thought she's going to ask me to pray about something. She said, well, there was a man in the group that just left. And and he said, after he left, he wanted me to give you this piece of paper. I don't know what it is, but he wanted you to have it. It's this actual note. I still have the note 16 years later. I opened it up. And folded up in the note was two $20 bills and a $10 bill. And the note said this. I have the note here if you want to sit after the service. Here's what the note says. Use where needed most, but shoes might be a good idea before it rains. (laughs) (laughs) Then he signed it. Love from someone who loves Jesus. And I tell you that when I first opened it up and I sold that $50, I was so embarrassed. I mean, my face, I could feel the red flush in my face. I was so embarrassed. It's like, you dummy, you need to get your shoes fixed. Then as I sat there and I looked at that note and I looked at that money, I thought, what an amazing person. He does not know me. He has never met me. But he saw a need in my life and he opened his wallet to meet that need. Sixteen years later, I still have the note. You see, when somebody truly loves you with something more than words, you don't forget it. You thinking? I know the story of the Good Samaritan is just a parable, but do you think that guy ever forgot how somebody stopped and bandaged his wounds and took him to the inn and paid for his care? Uh, you wouldn't forget that. Why? Because we see so many people who love in words only. They don't love word, love in deeds. First John three eighteen. Read it one more time. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Listen to the Living Bible, a translation of that verse. Little children. Let us stop saying we love people. Listen, isn't that amazing? Listen to this. Little children, let us stop saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. Now, now the point of my story is not that you need to buy things for people. That's not the point of the story. The point of my story is this. We need to stop saying that we love people and show them. That's why we have Love Loud on March 23rd. Because we don't want to be a church that just says we love the community. We want to be a church that shows them that we love the community. 
We don't want to be a church that just says, God loves you. We want to be a church that shows them, God loves you. Now, in case you don't know what Love Loud is, it's a one-day mission trip to the, to the community where we go out and we meet the needs of the community, no strings attached. So March 23rd, Saturday, March 23rd, we're going to go out and just serve others. It's a one-day mission trip for the entire family, all ages, children to senior adults. Now, you don't even have to be a member to be a part of this. You can sign up and go out and serve with us if this is your first Sunday. Now, it will be different this year. We're not going to have a big group meeting at the very first. We're not going to have breakfast. We're just simply saying, will you and your BSF class go out on March 23rd, and would you serve somebody in the name of Jesus? Will you and your BSF class go out and just serve somebody that day together? Now, if you haven't signed up yet, you can sign up with your BSF class, or if you're not in a class, or maybe your class is not doing anything, just call Chris Metters or go to mountairybaptist.com and just sign up. Just say, hey, put me on a Love Loud team, and they'll sign you up for a project. They'll put you on the team. You know, you've heard it said that actions speak louder than, than words, and that's so true. That's why he says in, in 1 John 3.18, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We take all kinds of mission trips all over the United States, all over the world. But we also need to take a mission trip to our community. We need to go to the people in our community and demonstrate to them the love of God. I'm going to go out with Lisa's BSF class. I'm going to go out with those ladies and I'm going to be serving whoever it is that they're serving. If you haven't signed up yet, I hope that you'll sign up and say, hey, Chris, put me on the team. Or nineerybaptist.com, go there and just put me on the team. Because I want to go out and show the love of God and not just talk about it. I've got one final thing to show you here today. I brought it with me. I told you on Friday I was uh, in Lenore, North Carolina. Lenore, North Carolina is where I, I had my first church. Graduated from, Fort Worth, uh, from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Lisa and I uh, graduated from there. We moved to Lenore. It was our first church. We didn't have any kids. I was 26 years old, starting out as a pastor. I didn't know anything. Still don't know anything, but I really didn't know anything back then. 26-year-old pastor, moving to my first church. The chairman of the search committee was a man named John Kirby. His wife was Eula May. John and Eula May took Lisa and I in, and they treated us like family from the very first day. They loved us from the very first day. I mean, it's just amazing how John took that 26-year-old pastor, put his arm around me, and mentored me as a young pastor. Started praying together every Saturday night. Me and John and another guy named Curtis Robbins. Because they knew that young preacher didn't know what he was doing. They knew he needed all the help he could get. And so they came, those two men surrounded me every Saturday night. They prayed with me. But I just want to stress to you how much they loved us. One day years ago, at least 25 years ago, probably longer than that, but at least 25 years ago, Eula May gave me a gift. It was some monogrammed handkerchiefs. I have one of them here. Now, you probably can't see the monogram from where you are, but it's a P. My name is Keith Shorter. 
And so when Ulamay gave me this, I looked at it. I said, Ulamay, thank you. I, I appreciate that. That's very nice of you. But why did you, why did you give me a P on my handkerchief? She looked at me like I'd lost my mind. She said, it's for preacher. I still have this handkerchief 25, 26 years later. I still have it. And it's not because it's an expensive handkerchief. Truth be told, she probably got it at a yard sale. She went to a lot of those. The reason I have this handkerchief, the reason I have kept it, is because it reminds me of her. And it reminds me of John. It reminds me of a couple who loved me. I mean, really loved me. Not just in words, but in their actions. And Lord willing, I'll have this handkerchief till the day I die. Because it reminds me. It reminds me of a man and woman who came alongside me. They loved me when I needed to be loved. They helped me when I needed their help. See, my point is a very simple one today. The world has seen a lot of people talk about love. When you actually demonstrate it, they never forget it. When actually... You actually do something. You actually interrupt your schedule to help them. You actually take from your resources to help them. You actually change what you were going to do to help them. When you demonstrate love, never forget it. How do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as the priest who was so busy he just kept going because he had a full schedule that day do you want to be remembered as the Levite who saw the man and his heart was hard and he just kept going or do you want to be remembered as the good Samaritan who saw the man in need and he had pity on him and he stopped he got his hands dirty and he opened his wallet and he changed that man's life so on March 23rd, let's, let's just go out together and do that. Now, not one day is not enough, of course. But one day is a reminder of how we should live every day. Let's love loud. Let's show people the love of Jesus. Would you join me as I pray? <clears throat> Father, thank you for reminding us today of your love that was not just declared, but that was demonstrated through Jesus Christ. I pray that we will be a people that loves this community, not just in our words, but in our actions. I pray that we will be a community of believers, that it will be evident that we don't just have a, a cross around our neck. We have love in our heart. May it be evident by our love that we are indeed followers of the God who is full of love. It's in His name I pray. Amen.